Well, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 11 this Lord's Day morning. Personal conflict, rivalry, being at odds with one another. I think we all could say, and even all of you know, that none of those are pleasant. Conflicts can just so often leave relationships, marriages, families, friendships, and even communities in disarray. Now, some of you, you know this firsthand. You have experienced this. You have walked through conflict, even perhaps great conflict. Or if you haven't yet, perhaps you've seen this from a distance. But either way, you know that conflict is not pleasant. You know, one especially notorious conflict that comes to my mind anyway, as I think about conflict, about dissension, about grievances, is the sad feud between the Hatfields and the McCoys. So these two families, if you have heard of them, which I know many of you probably have, they were absolutely at war with each other. And so there along the West Virginia and Kentucky border burst out this conflict which was really more like a war and between these two families and it did not last just a few months or a few weeks but it lasted decades. Now there's not a consensus on how exactly the feud began. Now just note that that's kind of saying something as well, how so often when we have conflicts with others that go on for quite a bit of time, we so often don't even know how it began or why we're still fighting. But nonetheless, when it was all said and done, they had committed countless crimes, many acts of violence, theft, murder, and more. I think I read that somewhere between 9 to 20 people were murdered when all was said and done. Now, many conflicts may not be as bad as that, but they still so often just leave this wake of brokenness, of hurt that just keeps going on and on and on. Well, this morning... Paul, he writes to the church of Corinth on just this point. On conflict and disagreements within the church. And he calls the church to address conflict not as the world does, but as those who belong to Jesus Christ. Amen. So to see this, let's look here, beginning with verse 1. May God help us. Hear his word and give us grace to apply his word to our hearts and lives this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. 
when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? And I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather, rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We hear, as we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 of this letter, Paul is now getting into some very specific, nitty-gritty points of applications and implications of the gospel, of how the cross-centered life and how the cross of Christ should really impact us. It should really impact our lives. It should really impact our churches. And he is urgent in this. Again and again we have seen this. He is concerned with real people like you, like me, real churches, like Haven Baptist Church, really following Jesus Christ. And so passages like these, they kind of stir up the pot. And by that, I don't mean like, like create conflict necessarily. I mean, maybe they do. <laughs> maybe they will or could. And maybe even they, they have done that. But that's not what I'm referring to here. They stir up the pot by way of revealing impurities. They encourage us to see just how far the gospel is to go. How the power of the gospel is needed for us and for our church in all things. We're here specifically, though, in regard to conflicts and grievances that people have against one another. So the church of Corinth, as you know, it is not unfamiliar with conflicts. I mean, we have seen that. We have seen it again and again. They've had their fill of issues and we have seen that from pretty much from the get-go of chapter one and onward 
And so we have seen divisions over leaders. We've seen factions. We've seen spiritual pride. We've seen, just seen, even in 1 Corinthians 5, a serious case of sexual morality within the church. But that's not all. And I don't even mean like once we get past chapter 6, that's still not all. But here we find there's even more. So as those issues have been bowling over, Paul, he writes to the Corinthians to let the gospel and the power of the gospel have its full effect. That they would live by faith, not in themselves or in the world and in its wisdom, but they would live and you would live by faith in Christ who is the wisdom of God. And I'm adopting his tone. He's urgent in this. And I would say, if he were here now in America's church, he'd be even more urgent in this. We would live by faith in Christ who is the wisdom of God. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. He's saying if you do, then let it define everything. And so it is that here he urges them essentially to resolve the issues among you. Or in view of the church of Corinth, to resolve the issues among them. Now we don't know all the details of what was going on here. We see that Paul, he mentions being defrauded, like stealing, taking things. So we know something of this was related to that, but we so we don't know all the details, but what we do know is their issues with one another. They had come to the point where some were actually bringing these civil lawsuits against each other within the church. Now, we don't really know how large the church of Corinth was, but you know, many think it wasn't actually that big. So it could very well be something like this size or larger, maybe 50, 60 people. So you can imagine what a lawsuit a civil lawsuit with one of you against the other would look like. Not that anybody wouldn't know about it, right? We certainly would. Now, right off, see that, believers, as we see that, these lawsuits, civil lawsuits against each other, we just need to stop and right off just see that, that believers can have conflicts, they can have disagreements, and they can have issues with one another. Now, that's an important point that we need kind of floating around in our system. Especially in our day where you get offended, it's basically just, I'm offended, that's the category that matters most, I am out no matter where you are. That's enough to end everything. But just see this here. That you need to have this category where, yeah, believers can have disagreements and issues with one another. Otherwise, when it happens... And I mean it, when it happens, it just might blow your world apart. Now, you all know the saying and probably have heard it in a number of sermons and maybe you've said it yourself. There's no such thing as a perfect church. Yeah. And I agree with that. It's right. And woe to anybody who says our church is perfect. <laughs> you know, Well, no, it's not. And you just showed me it's not. 
But you know, I think some, deep down, maybe you here at the end of the day, you really expect that though. You expect the church to be just that. You expect it to be perfect. And so when conflict comes, it does blow your system apart. Because you're expecting everyone is just going to be peachy king, treating me nice, they're all friendly and everything else. But then what, what is this? Someone just said something, did something, and I'm hurt, and I am done. Well, that's not to be. Friends, that's not to be. You know, yes, we're not to go around creating conflicts with, we, with each other. So I'm not saying that if you're thinking... Well, he's saying we might have conflicts, so why don't we just have them? Like, I had this problem with this person over here. I'm going to go tell them off. You know, that's, that's not what we need to do. So though we don't go around creating conflicts, that doesn't mean we won't have disagreements at times. It's then, and it's right then, that your system is not to shut down and to turn off. But instead, what are you to do? You are to take hold of the Word of God. You are to take hold of the Gospel. And you are to do what? You are to apply it. And I'm urging in this because this is happening everywhere. You don't forsake the Gospel when you find sin among sinners. You apply the Gospel in the midst of our churches and even in the midst of our own sins. And so this leads to Paul's point here amidst their lawsuits. Don't go to the world, go to the saints. Don't go to the world, go to the saints. Now just to give the background of what Paul is talking about here, so the Roman judicial system was not a shining example of justice and impartiality. Now, if you brought a case, a civil case, like this, like the Corinthians were bringing before the courts, one thing that you would certainly expect is a deep need for your wallet. <laughs> you know what American Express, right? Don't leave home without it. Well, you would not want to leave home without your wallet if you're going to bring a civil case. So the more money you had to bribe them with, the more favor you would get with them or from them. Now, if you're rich and you're a part of the elite of society, well, that's no problem, right? I mean, you've got plenty of money to go around. And so you could do that. But certainly not for those who are poor. And so you can see how quickly this just gets completely unjust. And anything but just, anything but justice is going on within the Roman judicial system. And so it is within those courts, it is before those courts that believers were taking their personal disputes with each other. And this is why Paul he asks rather indignantly here in verse 1, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law? before the unrighteous instead of the saints? He's saying it's all backwards. It's not that we, we won't have issues within the church, but when they occur, 
We're not to just go about solving them as as though we are no different from the world. We are not the world. We are the kingdom of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are to be different. And so what might this look like today? Well, it might look like as we find these issues, it might actually be that some people within churches make or, you know, form an actual civil lawsuit against another believer. But also, you know, it often is simply other things that we do. Like going to unbelieving friends and being like, hey, you who are not looking to the wisdom of God, can you tell me what to do about this thing I've got going on? Or it may be going even to ungodly advocates. I mean, you know these people who will agree with you because they're your friend. But they're not going to be primarily aiming at glorifying God, honoring Christ, even if it hurts you. Now, we won't take time today to talk about what a friend is in Scripture either, which we could spend a good deal of time there, but going to ungodly advocates, people that you know are going to say, well, yeah, good job. Yeah, you need to do that. Yeah, you weren't wrong in that. You're just fine. Or even, I think this is another perhaps one of the most common responses, is simply refusing to resolve the issue at all, which is where you find the system blown to pieces and people fleeing. So those are the more, I think, more common responses today. Yet, isn't that just another flavor of what Paul is talking about here? This kind of going off to the world to find something else. And so in the midst of this, Paul, he puts all of this into perspective, and he writes in verse 2, Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try civil cases or trivial cases? And so here he's using one of his favorite methods for clarifying his point. He argues from the greater, you will judge the world. (laughs) Isn't that pretty great? To this lesser kind of thing, yet you can't even resolve these tiny tiny little petty issues over here. (laughs) I mean, you're going to be judging everyone with Christ, and yet you can't resolve this. That's his point. You know, and we see something akin to this in the Gospels as well about judging the world. So Jesus, he told the twelve in Matthew 19, 28 and Luke 22, 28 through 30. So in Luke, he said, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials and I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. 
And so we see this component of judging the world. And here, Paul, he expands it and tells us that we will judge the world. Now, we don't know how all that's going to work. Like, we don't have, like, in our Bibles, like, here's the ten steps of how you need to judge the world. We don't, we don't have that in our Bible, so we don't really know what that's going to look like, but we will be judging the world with Christ. But to top all that off, Paul's not finished. The saints won't just judge the world. We will judge angels as well. I mean, he's likely referring here not to like angels in general, but like demons, fallen angels specifically. Now, isn't that incredible? We, you, will be judging angels. In ways we have yet to know, we will judge the demonic forces of evil with Jesus. Those same demonic forces that have been throwing arrows at us, they've been strategically trying to put us down and destroy us, we will be rising and judging them. And so in this, friends, see what Paul is saying. Believer, see how different we are to be. You are part of a kingdom, the kingdom of God in Christ. And so you are to reflect the kingdom as you have conflicts and not by fleeing to the world to resolve them, but fleeing to the Lord. And this is part of what Paul is emphasizing here. The issue among the Corinthians is an issue of the wisdom of men versus the wisdom of God. Now, even as I say that, contrast, wisdom of men, wisdom of God, I mean, that should be ringing a bell for you. You know, it should, it should ring a bell. Maybe you haven't been here, so let me just tell you it should ring a bell because Paul's been kind of ringing that bell kind of all throughout 1 Corinthians so far. Throughout this book, we just look back, chapter 1, verses 18, through all of chapter 2, and then chapter 3, verses 18 through 23. Again and again, he's saying, no saints, you are to live according to the cross of Jesus Christ. You are to live according to God's revealed word. You are to live in accord with the wisdom of God in Christ Jesus. Before the world, that's what you're to live like. And this is why he says in verse 5, Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough, there it is, wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? Now, he's not just talking about anybody. He's talking about a person whose eyes are on the cross, who is living in accord with the Word and the Spirit. It's someone who has laid aside and is laying aside and is fighting against their spiritual pride for true boasting. If anyone boasts, boast in the Lord. They're fighting for that in their heart and soul, in their service, and in all things. It's a person whose aim is to live 
according to the wisdom of God in Christ. Is there anyone wise among you? That's who he's talking about. Is there anyone who wants, who is living for the cross, who wants to put the flesh to death, who is aiming to live according to the wisdom of God in Christ? Well, you need to go to them. Where are they? And this is also part of why Paul is so stunned by their actions. You know, one writer, he said it well. He said, the apostle is aghast at their assumption that justice can be found in the world more readily than in the church. I mean, what an indictment. You know, as those who will judge the world and angels, as those who have the Spirit in the Word, what in the world are they doing? What in the world are we doing? Yet because they are going to the world and to the wisdom of the world, they've already lost. It's already a defeat for them. That's what Paul says in verse 7. The church loses. But the truth is, the world loses too. Our witness is hindered. The church's reputation is wounded. And gospel opportunities are lost. And so he says in verses 7 through 8, it would have been better to have been defrauded and done nothing than to have done that. It would have been better if you had just said, yeah, they stole from me, but I'm letting it go. I'm going to take up the cross, deny myself, and just let it be. It would have been better if they just did that rather than to do what they did. Rather that they would have humbly suffered like Christ who emptied himself right, and became a servant. They would rather be like him even unto death than stain the church in its message. And so this is a call for us not to go to the world but to apply the peace-giving and peacemaking power of the gospel. The gospel is to go right there. (laughs) It's to be applied right in the thick of our conflicts, right in the thick of our disagreements. It's not like the gospel has relate over here and so I just keep doing everything else in light of the world. No, the gospel is to go right there into conflicts and into all of life. That's what he's saying. We aren't to abandon the word, abandon the gospel, and abandon the cross when conflicts arise. Instead, we are rather to take them up. You know, you remember who and what Jesus said we are to be from what Jill read a moment ago, right? From Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. 
Friends, that's not for someone else. That's for you. And that's for me. You are to be in the church a peacemaker. Even when you face conflict. Peacemaker. Also notice part of Paul's point here. The lawsuits among the believers at the church of Corinth weren't the opening of the door to worldliness. It was a result of worldliness. So consider that too. Consider what sort of manifestations of worldliness might be among you. Manifestations of the wisdom of men among us. You know, passages like this call us to ask ourselves, for you to ask yourself, how do I, how do we deal with conflict in the church? But not just that. We need to ask ourselves, how do we deal with conflict in our homes, in our families, in our relationships, even in our workplaces? Are we addressing our conflicts according to the Word of God, or are we simply adopting the ways of the world? Now, as you hear all of this, let me give a biblical caveat. This is not giving you permission to disregard governing authorities. This is not giving you permission to disregard governing authorities. Now, we won't be looking at the full scope of this passage, but perhaps when you get home, look at Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. You and I are to rightly be subject to the governing authorities. Unless they ask you to disobey God, you are to honor governing authorities. I mean, just consider the context of who Paul's writing to. I mean, what kind of emperors they've had. Even the persecution that's being aimed right at them. And he's saying, oh yeah, honor governing authorities. I mean, just consider what Paul says there in Romans 13, verse 1 and 2. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. An incredible statement. And true. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. So in a case where law has been broken, a crime has been committed, we are to obey the law. We're to go to the law. We're to do everything we can to honor those that God has put in the A biblical caveat. Now as we consider all that though, as we consider all of this, Paul, his point, it comes to head in these next verses. The issues with lawsuits, sexual morality, and sins like these in the church is they, and this is where it's connected. Paul's not disconnecting the point here. 
It's connected to lawsuits in the church. There's a, a bigger problem here that's going on at the heart. Sins like those in the church, what we need to remember there and see is that you and me need to remember who you are. Who we are. Friends, it is easy to be led astray from this, especially in our day. You know, like it says in the book of Judges, right? Many are just going around doing what's right in their own eyes. I mean, that's the air we're breathing in everywhere we go. And this is why Paul's warning here is so needed in our day. Friends, don't be deceived. Your sin is not your identity. Your sin is not your identity. Part of the lie of our sin is it pleads with us. It pleads with you and it pleads with me to make it central, to make it your identity, to make it king, to make it the crown jewel of your life, the pursuit of our souls. But friends, it's an enemy. It is a rival love. It's a call and it calls to believers and this is what you hear as you see it. It says, come back, you know, give in, return to the old self, return to the old you. And yet, brother, sister, don't listen to that. It may come in the form of like civil lawsuits or conflicts, but don't listen to that. Sin is not your master. The wisdom of this age is not your master. Not sin. Not the world. Not the devil. Jesus is. Amen. So take heed to the warning here that Paul gives. He says in verse 9, Do not be deceived. You can be deceived. The world, sin, self, and the devil would have you be defined by the list of sins here. They tell you, pursue sex and sexual pleasure without hindrance. Is that not what we're hearing today? Sexual morality. Worship whatever and whoever you want. Idolatry. Break the sacred covenant of marriage, adultery. Do what's unnatural. Let homosexuality define you. Take what you want. Thieves, love money, greed, drink, and then drink some more drunkenness. Hate those you disagree with, revilers, and deceptively cheat on others, swindlers. Yet here's the thing you and I need to see and hear in our day. The sobering words of verses 9 and 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? All of those in verse 10 
will not inherit the kingdom of God. Just let that sink in. Your identity is not to be grounded in any one of those things. And that's part of the lie. The demonic strategy in our day, and you see it everywhere. Now, as you read this list, yes, this includes the array of those enslaved who are willfully sinning in the way of LGBTQ plus sins. Those are extensions of that one there, nor men who practice homosexuality. But it's more than that, too. We aren't to look at our culture and say, what monsters? Rather, we're to look in the mirror and say, we're all monsters. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. Amen. And this is where we come to verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Friends, sin is not to be your identity. Christ is. Amen. Christ is. You're not to drift with the times of our day. In Christ, you have been washed. You have been sanctified. You have been justified. You are new in Christ. That is what you are. And this is what the gospel does. And what the gospel is able to do. This is part of Paul's point. Can you see what the gospel can do? And it can do that in conflicts. It can do that in struggles with sin and self. It can do that in struggles with others. Even today, you can see and experience the power of the gospel. Don't be deceived. Christ can save you also. Amen. Friends, this is not a testimony of hate this morning. It is a testimony of the love of God demonstrated and is pouring out of His wrath on His Son. All of these sins He took upon Himself in your place to save you. It's a call away from being lost to being found. It's the glorious news that Christ came to save sinners. And so you might be here and you might be struggling and maybe it's always just been that way. It's just been one struggle after another. One sin that just continually arises. Something the world has glorified and said, yes, be that. And yet you still remain lonely. You still remain afraid. You still remain lost in this world. Well, friend, the reason for that is you were not made for this. You're made to know the one who made the world. Amen. And so good news is before us this morning. 
Christ saves, and he can save you. That's the power of the gospel. That's what the cross can do. And so Paul is saying, friends, lawsuits, all these things going on in the church, not worldliness, not the wisdom of men in life, in conflicts and in all things, but in all things Christ. So, as those redeemed by Christ, pursue peace in accord with the kingdom of Christ. Yes, there's no perfect church, but there is a perfect Savior. Amen. And we are to walk in accord with Him. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you t today and we just come humbled by your word. And as we're pondering it, reflecting and meditating upon it, we pray, Father, that you would help us, Lord, as your church, those who know Christ this morning, that they would see the power of the gospel and what the power of Christ can do and has done. Yet were some of you. The grace of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what we've experienced. So there's no boasting except in the Lord. And so help us this morning as we, each of us here, we know that one day at some time, at some point, in this church, or in our home, in our marriages, in our relationships with our children, or with our families, or in the workplace, we will face conflicts. We will face disagreements and grievances. But we are given the path forward here. It is not to ignore the gospel and run to the wisdom of men. It is to run to the gospel and to the wisdom of God. So help us, Father, to do that. Help us not be theorists, but to be practitioners, practitioners that you'd help us to live according to these things and walk in them for your glory. And for any here who are exactly that, they are lost. They're lonely. They don't know who they are. They don't know what they're doing. Lord, help them to hear the truth this morning. Help them to hear the wisdom of God. Help them to see the gospel and see that you made them and you made them for yourself and that there is one who can save them and it is Christ. So help them to respond by repenting and believing this, repenting and believing the gospel that they may be saved this, this morning. And so be with us and help us as we respond as a church, as we consider our hearts, our lives, ourselves, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
As we come to our time of invitation, I just want to encourage